welcome back to the Some Sort of Miracle podcast. I'm Ed, and I'm here today with Nick. Hello. And Matt Ingram-Smith. Welcome to the podcast, Matt. Thank you very much for having me. It's good to be here. It's really exciting to have you here. Um, we haven't actually chatted in a little while. I remember we, well, I used to go to a summer school where you were on staff, but um, since then, I've, I haven't really heard much of your story, so I'm really excited to hear what you've been up to and what's going on in your life. But just at the start of this, could you give us a bit of an introduction on who you are, what you do, and any fun facts about yourself, I guess? Brilliant. You've asked for the fun facts earlier. I've just thrown that in with dread. Uh, So, uh, yeah, as as you say, my name's Matt. Um, I am 30 years old. No, I'm not. I'm 31. How about that? I'm 31 years old. Hiya. Uh, And it's probably been a good three, four, five, maybe even six years since I last um, saw you, Ed, or or anything like that. So, Mm. uh, I live in the heartlands of England in Chesterfield, right in the middle of the country. Uh, with my wife Sophie. Uh, we've been married for uh, four years or so now um, and we're part of a, a really um, a really great church in Chesterfield called Icon um, which is just in the sort of middle to early stages of um, going and planting in different locations um, but that's not my job. Uh, I work in software sales uh, in recruitment software and so uh, for me it's very much around balancing the the daily grind of life and work and faith and relationship and, and all of those things in together. Mm. Awesome. So you're involved in a kind of a, a church that, like you say, that is doing church planting. And I imagine that looks quite varied and different in different settings or um, different communities that you're looking at planting into. But what sort of church did you grow up in and what was the sort of faith that you inherited? Yeah, so uh, I grew up in a family that uh, attended the Salvation Army. Mm. And so I think I can hold claim to being on both sides of my my mom and my dad's side being a fifth generation Salvationist. Um, So I I grew up um, very firmly in the traditions of the Salvation Army down in Croydon um, and went through all of uh, my formative years in childhood, uh, doing things like being a junior soldier and being in the YP band, being in the uh, singing company. So uh, music was a very big part of um, church life for me growing up. And actually that then sort of dictated the the travel of life for me for, for quite a while. But yeah, very, very fortunate to grow up in a, a family with a, a strong faith and being part of a, a strong church tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I, I always count myself blessed that uh, you, you often hear stories where growing up in church has sort of the, the opposite effect and it can lead people to rebel and feel like, you know, that's all I've ever known and I was forced into it. But for, for me, it's always been a matter of choice. And um, I've always looked at the, the path that my, um, my parents and my family and the sort of people around me have followed and seen that as an inspiration, as opposed to a, mm. um, uh, something that has been forced upon me. Mm. Have you found, because um, I know you grew up uh, a little bit further down south, didn't you, Matt? Um, how have you found sort of travelling, moving around? I know you went to university in Sheffield and then now you find yourself in Chesterfield. So how's your experience of church changed within sort of the areas of life that you've been in and um, and sort of yeah, where you found yourself in the country? Has there been much of a major difference or a transition or uh, sort of an evolution in that sense? Yeah, I, I, I sort of separate my church life into to to four main areas really so um you're right to call out university i think that's a really significant thing in a lot of people's lives Uh, for me i think of before university 
Um, so up to the ages of 18, uh, I was attending Croydon City of Salvation Army, and that was sort of my main experience of church, other than coming away for the summer schools that Ed referenced right at the beginning of this and a couple of other things. Um, whilst I was at university, I think I went through what I would describe as um, a, a slight chrysalis moment where, you know, I was invited to make those decisions myself. And um, I went along to the Salvation Army in Sheffield, which was sort of an extension of what I already knew. Um, so this is while I was at uni. Um, I was getting my first taste of freedom in inverted commas, but but still experiencing it within the realms of, of what I um, knew and had grown up with. Uh, for me, phase three was where I then took a job down in London. So I moved up to Sheffield for university, spent four years um, in the city attending the Salvation Army. And then for me, there was a real point when I moved to London, and we're now talking 2012, so eight years ago, where I wanted to explore more of the wider spectrum of um, faith and church. Um, so it wasn't necessarily a, a case of, oh, I'm, I'm done with this Salvation Army and I need to, to try something else. Uh, but I, I was really conscious that my experience up to that point, you know, 21, 22 years of, of something that was very, very similar. And I was conscious that my experiences of faith at things like summer school at um, the, the different children's camps that I'd been really fortunate to be a part of had opened my eyes to, I suppose, a, uh, a fresh expression of faith. And, and if I can say this, um, encouraging me to, to explore that for myself. So I, I would categorize or, or characterize my first two phases, you know, phase one before university, phase two at university, as still very much just put in front of me. And um, I, I think for me, when I moved to London, I then sought a, um, a couple of different churches and, and felt really comfortable and really at home within, you know, a couple of weeks of, of walking through the doors of um, a New Frontiers church. And I found, you know, almost immediately when I started, um, uh, you know, the Sunday service, the, the, the home group style of church, um, that I was really being encouraged to think for myself, really being encouraged to, to seek and find something more. Um, and that's then, I, I guess, spread over into what I now think of as my current or phase four, which is having moved back up into uh, to God's own country. Or, well, it's not quite Yorkshire, but <laughs> Chesterfield is Derbyshire, but, but borderline Yorkshire and Sheffield um, and attending the church I do with my wife. Um, so yeah, I, I, I very much see that I've been on a journey with church and with faith and with every step on that journey, I've learned new things um, and I've, I've maybe taken things on board that encouraged me to go seeking and to, to go and find, um, find I, I guess, what it is God's calling me towards. And I know we're going to talk about this, but I still don't really know what that is. But I know that part of that journey is being open to um to, to where i'm being led hmm. would you say that there's um there's a few things that have been fundamental throughout that sort of a, a constant throughout that journey and some things perhaps that have um are perspectives that have shifted and, and changed quite dramatically as a result of um finding things out for yourself and and kind of doing the the uh the hard graft of, of kind of learning on your own has there been there's been much of um things that have fallen by the wayside for you or has it been very more of a, of a constant theme with a slight shift 
Yeah, I, I think one of the constants has been um, servitude. So, you know, this is not a popular word and it is a bit of a, a Christianese term, right? But um, it's the idea of serving in the context in which you're in. And um, right from the get-go, my, my experience of church, my experience of faith has been that serving has been a real part of that. Um, so it's not just about, you know, if you're familiar with church, turning up on a Sunday and receiving, but actually a big, big, big part of the lessons that we learn from Jesus and the model that we have from, um, from, from reading about the way Jesus operated, what he did, who he was, the, the people that he spoke to, you know, that one of the biggest underlying themes is of being a servant leader. And so I think that, um, my understanding of that has changed over um the the course of my journey it's not necessarily that the message has changed or that um you know i'm being told things in a different way but as i'm being encouraged to to explore more for myself or um being encouraged to find out more on my journey my understanding of being a servant leader has has grown in that regard and so for me that means that in the way that jesus led you know being more like jesus being a better follower of him is very much tied in with having a servant heart and having a servant heart is being prepared to, to put others before yourself. It's, um, you know, demonstrating the human emotion of empathy, but, but that very much is, is a Christ-like emotion for me. Mm. Um, it's sometimes difficult to think, isn't it, of um, that God, the human God, the God, you know, we, we think of the Trinity and um, again, a, a very, very, uh, spiritual or religious phrase that could be the, the idea of the Trinity, but God being the father, God being the son and God being the Holy spirit. What does that mean? That just means that in different scenarios, in different areas of our lives, God relates to us in different ways. So I can relate to, to God as um, a father, as a creator, as someone who's this all knowing um, being in another moment uh, when I'm having a, a crisis or where I'm having a, um, a, a struggle with work or a struggle in relationship, actually the human side of God perhaps appeals to me more in that moment because I know that God was, was going through those same things. Jesus was not far removed from us when he was here on earth. And, mm. you know, he experienced human emotions. He experienced the human walk of life. Um, and the Holy Spirit, again, in different moments, perhaps when you know our faith is low, that's when we're called to, to, to believe and have a, um, a greater experience of that faith. So for me, I, I think one of the constants, but my change has been in my knowledge of that and my, my understanding of a, a servant heart and a servant leader. Mm. It's really interesting the way you, you're, you're kind of talking about how your, your practice and the, the, the context that you're given opportunities to do different things has begun to shape your theology and shape the way you see your faith. And I can definitely see that, that in um, a similar story happening in my life, actually. And I know I, I grew up in the Savishnami, um, probably a fairly similar story to you. I grew up in fairly big Savishnami core and uh, was heavily influenced with music. And that dictated a large portion of my education and all that sort of stuff. And then I remember being plonked into a a small church. Uh, it was Savage Nami Church for me, but a small one. And there was no music going on at all. And suddenly I thought, oh, what what is my role here? What What is it that mm. I do if I'm not just the music guy? And um, then alongside that came so many opportunities to experience other aspects of 
a lived out faith and certainly that that's been a huge thing for me in changing my theology so it's yeah it's, it's amazing to hear a, a similar story I guess coming from you on that yeah and and in there there's there's tied up this idea of um our status or who we are is defined by something external to us mm. uh, and one of the eternal truths and one of the things that I'm learning more about every day is um, what God says about us you know one of, one of the fundamentals is that we are loved by God, that we are known by God, um, that that he created us, he knows every hair on our head. Um, but this idea that there is nothing that we can do, um, good or bad, that can make God love us any more, any less. You know, we are who we are because he created us. And uh, for me, that's a, that's a powerful thing. Yeah, and that that's a I have to remind myself of that, maybe not on a daily basis, but regularly when I, when I do think these things of, oh, you know, what's going on with the, the music or, or, you know, why am I being looked over for this thing? Or, you know, I'm, I'd really love this opportunity in, in church and it just hasn't presented myself uh, itself. You know, it's a real reminder to me that I, I'm not validated by um, the, the title I have or mm. the status that I have or, what somebody else thinks of me as as good as that is and as much as it appeals to that human side of me you know i'm validated by who god says i am and who does god say we are he says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made you know and that that's every single person that has ever lived and will ever live we are fearfully and wonderfully made and you know we are given all of our value by god by god's love and um by his grace as well absolutely yeah there's a lot of um I mean, there's a lot to get into there, I suppose, um, <laughs> right, right from the outset. But I think, yeah, um, I was thinking when you were talking, we very much all three of us kind of come from the same place. We've kind of all had music be a big part of our lives, both uh, academically and, and within the church and, and also um, growing up within the Salvation Army in, in various forms. So it's really interesting to hear. I think we're all in slightly different places now than we began but we all came from the same point so it's really mm. interesting to hear kind of where you guys have ended up and and how that's going to shift where you're at i'm still if, if someone's to ask me where i was at i don't think i've got an answer and i think <laughs> the first time i'm actually all right with that i think mm. i'm still working it out and if i'm honest i'm not sure if i ever ever will so um but there's yeah lots of ideas and and uh concepts that i'm kind of learning about at the moment that um can really blow my mind when you start to get deep into them. Um, I was wondering, Matt, is there anything that you've come across recently that sort of really sort of set you back or made you think really deeply about a certain characteristic or, or element of, of faith? Yeah, I, I so um, it's funny when when Ed you introduced the um, the, the session you talked, you mentioned the word miracle and my ears pricked up at that because, you know, the, the miracle is this, this, it can be seen as this thing that happened a long time ago. And, uh, you know, you say the word miracle, people might think of the virgin birth at Christmas. They might think of um, Jesus's uh, first recorded miracle, the, the water into wine and, and all of these things. And, and it might seem like this really ethereal thing that happened a long time ago, but then God just doesn't do these things anymore. And um, I, I think it's quite easy for me to fall into that trap and to, to not see the miraculous in the everyday. Um, but something that, that struck me, um, I guess, recently to, to answer your question, Nick, is um, there's this passage in Matthew. I think it's Matthew 9. 
and I'm going to get the details of this completely wrong, so don't hold <laughs> me to it. Don't quote me. But um, but in in this passage in uh, in Matthew nine, Jesus is called upon to perform a miracle, um, and so this uh, somebody comes to him and says, um, "My, I think it's my my daughter is dead, and and only you have the power to raise her from the dead." And in that moment, Jesus responds. And so he's on his way and he he goes to to raise this girl from the dead. I think it's the, the, the daughter of a synagogue leader. I, I might have got that detail wrong. But on the way, he then gets approached by uh, a woman who is very, very sick. And she reaches out to Jesus for healing in that moment. And he heals her. And then uh, he goes and he, um, he raises the, the girl back to life. So he performs a second miracle. When he's leaving that village, he then comes across, uh, I think it's two, two men who are possessed by demons. And he casts out those demons and performs another miracle. And what struck me when I read this quite recently was this idea that, you know, we, we hope and we pray for the miraculous and, um, you know, we pray for a divine intervention in our life. But what's the knock-on effect? Mm. You know, if we don't pray for the miraculous, if we don't pray for that divine intervention, if we don't believe for it, if we don't have faith for it, what's that doing to other people's miracles? Because if Jesus hadn't responded to this guy who said, my daughter is dead or dying, I can't remember, I need you and only you can perform this miracle. If, if this guy hadn't gone to Jesus, then the woman who saw Jesus on the way wouldn't have been healed. The two men who were possessed by demons wouldn't have been healed. So who else would miss out on their miracles because we don't have the, the faith or the, um, the belief to actually approach our father and, and to ask for the miraculous. And for me, this is a really, um, you know, it's really pressing. I'm, I'm in a, a state at the moment where, you know, there are several things going on in, in life that I could do with a divine intervention on. I could do with a miraculous intervention from God. And I'm praying into those things on a daily basis. Um, and I'm doing so with a renewed understanding now that it's not just for me. Mm. You know, it's not just about me because if God intervenes, if God responds in the way that I hope or the way that I'm praying for, what else is going to happen as a knock on effect? What, what are the, the sort of chasms in life that are going to be healed because of the miracle that God's going to do in my life? And even if God responds in a different way, you know, we know that, don't we, that not everything we ask for will come to pass but God will respond. You know, God has a higher purpose and a greater plan. So even if it doesn't happen in the way in which I'm hoping for, or I'm planning for, or I'm praying for, what are the miracles that are being set in place by, um, by having that faith? So I've just been thinking about um, church and I guess evolving experiences of what church is. And I know looking back through my, through my life, when I was younger, I thought we could fix church by putting in a really good worship band. I thought that would that would that would fix everything. That was the only thing wrong with church. And in my head there was clearly something wrong with church that needed to be fixed by music, which mm. I look back on now and think that's ridiculous. Um but I guess uh, so much of what we see and what we understand about church community is formed by where we are in our context. And I wonder as your context has changed as you've gotten involved with a church that's interested in church planting and that sort of thing. I wonder how your understanding of what church is has uh, developed and evolved. 
Yeah. So I, I, I've definitely been in uh, in similar veins and where I've, I've thought, you know, if we could just change this one thing mm. or, you know, th- th- we've got this completely wrong in church. We need to do it this way. We need, mm. And invariably, the way that we need to do it, in my mind, is the way that I like. Yeah. It's funny, yep. that, isn't it? How, <laughs> how our idea of the right church or the best church is something that suits our tastes and styles. Mm. Um, and you might have heard the same before that... Um, if you come across a perfect church, you need to walk out because as soon as you walk through the doors, you're going to ruin it. Yeah. I.e., no church can be perfect because we are imperfect. And so, I guess my understanding of of church and taking into account those sorts of things around our tastes is that, um, from church to church, and and you know, I'm I'm thinking church to church with a with the small C here. Mm. Um things will change. You know, there'll be different styles of worship. There'll be different styles of messages. Uh, there'll be different styles of how we do community. And um, the one thing that should underpin all expressions of church is, is it based on God? And is it based on God's love for people? You know, there, there are so many examples of this in the scriptures, but the, the two that come to mind for me are um, when Jesus was asked, what are the greatest commandments and and actually he wasn't asked he was he was they were trying to trap him right so it's these teachers of the law who are thinking right this guy's coming along and is you know disrupting everything we're doing let's try and catch him out here so they ask what they they think will will trip him up because they they've got in mind the laws of moses and all of the the different laws of the um the, the times gone before and they're thinking right we, we can get him here and jesus says do, do you know what all those laws have their place, okay? But the most important things are to love God and love others. So I think that's fundamental to any expression of church um, that is a healthy expression of church. Mm. Uh, and there's a, an idea in um, church leadership, and I'm, I'm not a church leader. I have a, a lay position of leadership in our church, but I'm not a, a church leader. But there's an idea in church leadership or church planting that, you measure the health of a church by um, its growth. So exponential growth is is considered one of the best measures of, of a healthy church in many circles or many respects. If a church is growing, if the numbers are increasing, then we must be doing something right. Um, and that is certainly one way to look at it. And I'm, I'm not necessarily saying that that is the wrong way or even a wrong way. Um, that has its place. We want people to be saved. We want people to, to come to the to know Jesus and to come into a personal relationship with Jesus. If that happens, and if that's, you know, doing it, if we're doing that in a healthy way, then you would imagine that numbers would increase, but that that's not the be all and end all for, for me of a healthy church. A healthy church is one in which um, people's spiritual lives are healthy. One in which um, there's, there's, you know, a real sense of honesty and integrity and authenticity about everything that's done. Um, and one that doesn't ignore the model of church that we get from the Bible. So an Acts 2 church, which is um, the, the principle that we think about in our church, uh, and, and especially when we go to plant a new location or, or um, open up a new expression of our church. An Acts 2 church is based around the principle of um, the disciples sharing everything they had. So spotting a need and filling a need or see a need fill a need that that saying mm-hmm. um, it's around meeting together so there has to be some element of um 
people being together. Now, we're in strange and unprecedented times. I've used the word that I hate, unprecedented. Uh, I've used it an unprecedented number of times. Um, it's that bad. So obviously meeting together physically is, is something that doesn't happen in the normal way at the moment. But there's something about when we meet together, and that could be online, that could be um, in person. So that fits into the expression of church or a healthy expression of church where people are gathered together. Because when people are gathered together, what else do we learn in the scriptures? Jesus is there. Where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am with you. So for me, a healthy expression of church or one which is um, following the right uh, blueprints or the, the guidelines that we, we see is one which is an Acts 2 church, which is based around people who are meeting together, who are um, fulfilling a human element of need, you know, because um, William Booth, uh, the, the founder of the Salvation Army, got it spot on in, in my book, you know, uh, heart to heart to God, hand to man. It's difficult to try and save someone's soul or to to tell them about the gospel when they're literally starving and you know when their human needs aren't being met. So I think there is a real element of having to meet the human need in people, um, and that's again straight from Acts two. The disciples met together in each other's homes. They sold their possessions and gave to those who had need, but they ate together. And I think it's a really, really fundamental part of church, which is overlooked um, that actually right throughout the Gospels, right throughout um, the, I was going to say that the New Testament, the Old Testament as well. For me, any significant moment, and I'm sure I'm going to get this wrong, but any significant moment revolves around food. Now, that's not just because I love food and I love eating. <laughs> Those things are true. But um, I think of the majority of the, the significant events in Jesus' ministry, there's food involved at some point. And why is that? Because on a real human level, we bond with each other. We feel connected when we're eating. There's something, I think, tribal in deep in the recesses of our, our brains that we were hardwired over you know, thousands of years that when we eat, there's safety. Uh, and when we eat together, we're building community, we're building links. It's an organic link that we're building with each other. And when we're building organic links with each other, that's when we're able to uh, unlock, I think, a different level of um, our faith, because that's when we're authentic. That's when we're ourselves. That's when we feel comfortable to mm. express our faith, to, to open ourselves to new ideas. So for me, the, the idea of church is wrapped up in, in some of those ideas there. Mm. I know that you um you were part of planting a new church in Chesterfield, right? Is that um that's Icon? Is that right? Close, yeah. So the the, the church has existed for um it was our thirty year birthday last year, um but we have a central location in Chesterfield, and then over the last few years we've uh, sprung up new locations in Derby, in Sheffield, which is the the location that my wife and I were, were part of the team to start up. Um, we also have expressions in Rotherham, in Stocksbridge, um, and then our newest campus or our newest location is an online church. And so we, we currently have six different locations that we're, we're in here. Great. So how do you, um, how did you go about that process of um, sort of starting, I guess, bottom up from building a new church and, and I suppose particularly more recently the digital ones. Um, how have you found that and what were the kind of practical things that you were looking to to fulfill or find or, or achieve through that? 
Yeah, that's a, a really good question. And, you know, I'll, I'll say right at the heart of this, that, or right at the beginning, that um, everything we do has a measure of both the practical and the spiritual. So I'll probably talk more about the practical side, but a big part of what we, we do and we have done is, you know, in faith as well. So although I'll talk about the logistics and the practical side, there's a big part in which, you know, we're praying into things and we're believing for, uh, for, for what's to come. So I'm not neglecting that side or the spiritual side, but um, I guess the, the heart of your question is around what do you need to think about? What do you need to consider? And um, also what, what mistakes have we made as well? Um, so for us, I guess it comes down to the values that we have and and why we exist as a as a church. Now that that might seem like a a, a silly um, silly thing to pull out, right? For a church, why why do we exist? Because we want to see people come to Christ. We want to see people's souls uh, one for the kingdom of of heaven. Um, but in our church, in in Icon Church, um, an icon, by the way, I K O N, which um, is taken from the Greek word icon uh, with an e on the front but we we get rid of that e and um, which just means in the image of god and so our church uh, has um, five core values but the, the the underpinning principle is that we want to see human flourishing um, and we want to see human flourishing in relationship with god so it's all about relationship it's not about religion um, so for us to see human flourishing and that's people reaching their their best life in Jesus and through Jesus, um, we want to make sure that we're reaching the widest possible um, uh, pool of people. Because if we have church in our which is inside four walls, where uh, we go on a Sunday, we talk to each other, we might put on a nice service, have some nice worship, have a message, all for the people inside those four walls, and then we go about our everyday lives. And it doesn't have any knock-on impact into what happens on a Monday, it's all about the Sunday, then I, I think fundamentally we're missing something. So for us, we want to be able to reach the, the widest possible pool of people because what we have and what we're privileged to have is a knowledge of the good news, that good news that Jesus loves us, that God sent his son to die for us, you know, that nothing that we can do can separate us from the love of God and that we haven't earned that, but it's by the grace of God. And that we're hearing that we exist and when you know that good news it's impossible not to want to do something about it and not to want to share that so in church planting um, which which isn't really the expression we we use and um, but you know in in wanting to open up new locations or wanting to go to places we don't exist what we're trying to do is to to, ch to take church to more people because church is one of the routes to god and and you know i think it's you know potentially the best route to God. Now that is not contravening what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth and the life. The only way to the father is through me, but we want to be vessels. Um, you know, we want to um, expose people to Jesus who've never been exposed to him before. And church is one of the best ways to do that. So by opening up new locations, by going to Sheffield as we did, um, and we're now in our, I think it's third year, fourth year, perhaps um, we're opening up, our doors and opening up, opening up an expression of faith or an expression of a relationship with God to people that may have never heard that before. And we're doing so by, by going out further than just, you know, um, the, the church building that's one mile away from my house as I'm sitting currently. 
Um, so what we had to think about, we had to think about the fact that we were going to venture into the unknown. Um, and that takes um, a, a real mix of having people that are good at thinking about the practicalities, but also being able to venture in faith. Um, and I think one of the, the really important things that, that we got right is having the right people. Um, you know, I think God calls together people for, for, for a purpose. And we were really, really fortunate and um, blessed in that the people that were pulled together for us to start this new location in Sheffield were just the right mix of people. Um, you know, we had people that were practical in mindset, people that were good with logistics, people that were good with people, because not everyone is a people person. We had real prayer warriors, people who had real faith and, and a vision to see things done. And by calling on the collective experiences of those people and by utilizing them, and this is deliberately a callback to that servant leadership, that servant heart that we talked about earlier. Um, I think we were able to, to, to do far more than we should have been able to do because we had the right people. We had good people who um, had a heart for the vision, had a heart to see human flourishing um, in a life spent with Jesus. Um, so I think one of the most important things is getting the people right. Because if with the right people, you can you can conquer challenges. You can um, try and foresee the, the hurdles and the barriers, uh, pray into them, and then get the practical stuff right to, to, to come through them. We had to think about all of the sort of normal and, and dare say boring logistical things like where are we going to meet? Um, because we still want to have that element of meeting. That's an Acts 2 church. You've got to meet somewhere. Um, we wanted to uh, think about ways in which we can actually share the, uh, the news that we are coming, that we're, we're going to be here because, you know, one idea could be to turn up and just pray in faith that people will magically find out that we're there and walk through the doors. But actually, I think the reality is um, we can't just pray and then leave it. You know, prayer is, is an active um, sport. I think there's a giant something which is love is a verb and verb is not a one-way um uh, a one-way participation here i think god wants us to do something so you know we were praying into the logistics and thinking about how we can um share what is sort of an announcement or a launch in a new city which is a city which is full of students there's two big universities in um, in sheffield the right one yeah. is the one that i went to and then there's the <laughs> other one and um, there's uh, you know a lot of of people in in a, a really vibrant city and we wanted to be able to share that news so one thing sticking through how do we actually get that message out there um so yeah there, there were some of the things that we had to think about getting the right team getting the message out there and uh, sort of praying into the logistics of it all I just caught a little bit um, earlier. You said you want to do it through relationship rather than religion. Um, I thought it was a really nice um, sort of turn of phrase. But do you mind just explaining a little bit about what, what you meant by that? Yeah, so, so religion is a great way of getting things done, right? Religion is organisation. Religion is having structure, status, um, uh, th people doing things because it's expected of them. Uh, religion is uh, you know that you're going to turn up and this is going to happen and this is all preordained ahead of time religion is um, you know almost a company operating because all of the right parts are there and everything's been thought through and people do what they're told to and do what they're supposed to 
relationship is doing things in faith is doing things because we want to see people reaching Jesus because the ultimate aim of everything that we do is for people to, to find Jesus, to grow in their relationship with Jesus, and then to want to do the, the same. You know, I, I talked about it not being a, a one way thing and it being an active participation. Mm. That's because when you know that good news, you want to share it yourself as well. And we are called to that. Um, go and make disciples of the earth is, is an active call. It's not just a case of you found this out and now just sit on it. You know, Jesus calls us to, to go and go and make disciples. Um, and we do that through relationship, religion or organization or, and I'm going to say organized religion here, um, which might offend some people, but organized religion is a great way to get things done. It's a great way to impose rules. Um, and it's also a way in which rules um, are the, the law and the order. The big difference for me in, relationship versus religion so religion is about rules and order and law uh did i say that right religion is about those things relationship is grace and love so we are where we are we are who we are we are because of love because of grace we do not deserve where we are we do not deserve the lives we lead we do not deserve to um to spend eternity with uh with jesus with god with our our father in heaven we do not deserve any of that because of what we've done but we earn it through grace so that's really important because that's not what we've done that's what he's done so relationship is about love and grace religion is about rules order law i think there's a real um difference there it is challenging i'll say that right now because um you know it's a great tagline isn't it relationship not religion it's a lot harder to put that into practice and to avoid falling into the pitfalls of uh, rules and law and order. And we do this thing because we do it. Uh, no, having the remembrance or, or knowing why we do things is a great way to instill that culture of, of religion, sorry, relationship over religion. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, that's really helpful. Thank you for framing it in that way. That's yeah. I think that's so powerful. Just centering everything on, that relationship that brings love and grace and and actually when when you talked about um i guess our, our salvation being god's work um and um that it's yeah although it's it's all earned through grace it is it's god who is the agent of transformation is the agent of salvation mm-hmm. in this world and yeah i think that's really powerful um i'd like to speak to you a little bit about discipleship and um there's a phrase that gets bandied about which is whole life discipleship and what it looks like to follow jesus in every area of our lives and you you spoke earlier about uh, working in software sales and i wonder what it looks like to be a follower of jesus who works in software sales yeah that's that's challenging um so yeah whole, whole life discipleship in this idea that um, it's not just about your Sunday, it's about your Monday mm. as well. Um, for me, it's really important that people know who I am and know what I stand for and know the, the values that I have. So if I turn up to church on a Sunday, I say all the right things, uh, you know, I lift my hands in worship, um, you know, I might even be delivering a message or, um, or, or doing discipleship stuff on a Sunday. And then on Monday, I go into work and uh, my job is to, to sell software. So 
I start and what needs to be said in the moment, but really I know that's not true. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll just say whatever needs to be done for the sale, right? Because it's all about that money. <laughs> uh, and I'm cheating and I'm lying to get ahead and um, I'm ultimately doing other people down. Um, that for me is not relationship. Relationship uh, broadly is covered by this love God, love others. You can love others in every area of your life. It does not have to be just on a Sunday and it does not just have to be with the people that would call themselves a Christian alongside you in, in your church setting. Uh, for me, I can love God and love others um, in, in a number of different ways, but in my everyday life in, in work, I see my work as an act of worship. So um, there's a, an old school thought that worship is what happens when the the words go up on the screen and the music starts. Well, for me, worship is anything that you dedicate to God. You know, worship is anything where you're giving back to God what you have. So um, tithing can be an act of worship if it's done in the right spirit. Um, the way in which you hold your friendships can be an act of worship if you're doing it in a, a spirit of love and if it's a, um, you know, something that is God honoring and it's the same for work. So um, when I go about my everyday life as a software salesman, if I'm doing it in a God honoring way and I'm doing it for God's glory, um, then that's how I can maintain, um, you know, my, the, the calling on my life and see that as a, as a positive thing. And, you know, within, within every area of our lives, we come into contact with different people in different walks of life and, uh, I, I think one of the real shames in Christian circles or church circles is when we silo ourselves off and we deliberately or, or you know, perhaps unconsciously separate ourselves off from what, I, what, you know, what I'll call the outside. So it becomes very much about the inside, the insular, the people who, who are in on it, you know, who are in the know, the Christians. Um, Jesus said it's not the... Um, the, the well people that, that need a doctor is the sick. Um, and that's the analogy that I think of when I think about work. You know, these are the people that I come into contact with that I can um, influence through the way I hold myself, the way I carry myself, uh, the interactions I have with them. This is my colleagues. This is the, uh, the people I'm selling to that, you know, with some degree of success, but not always. Sales is a rejections game. Um, but even in that, how I hold myself in the hard times, in the tough times, in the trying times, um, speaks so clearly into to my faith and my relationship with God. Because if I place my worth and my value on how successful I am in work or how many sales I've made in, in this quarter or, or this year or whatever it is, that might be what my work needs from me. And I will honor that and I will do that, but I will not find my value in that metric. My value is in who he says I am. Um, and it's really important for me to remember that. It's really important for me to see every single person that I come into contact with as a child of God, um, whether or not they know it yet. Definitely, yeah. It's, I mean, being an ethical salesperson is infinitely harder than being a crooked one because I mean, you're telling the truth, aren't you? You've got to be a better salesperson. But um, I just think there's so much more reward it, working in sales myself is so much more reward in doing things the right way and getting results the right way 
because um, then it becomes a testament to the skills that God's given you. Absolutely, I can really uh, hear what you're saying in that. Um, within sort of the work, sort of framework, uh, I guess sales is the best and worst job in the world. And when you're up, it's awesome. And when you're struggling, mm. it's terrible. Yeah. Uh, and it's never an in between. So it's uh, it's never mm. just all right. Um, so how would how do you um, find celebrating successes or uh, also getting back from when you're hitting a little bit of a slump? How do you find um, God working within that? And is that something that you um, that you find easy or difficult? Or yeah, where where do you find yourself with that? Uh, I'm going to to borrow from the the great school of Christian thought, which is football management here. Yeah. And for for me, the best football managers are those that um, say. You know, in the high moments, I don't get too high. In the low moments, I don't get too low. And that they are the same person, whether they're winning, whether they're losing. You might not know from the look in their face whether the team have just uh, won 6 nil on a landslide or whether they've just been, you know, the nine men and then they're already staring at a 5-0 defeat at half time. Uh, I, I tried to, to have the outlook on life that um, whatever we do here, and this, this is going to, bring the tone down perhaps, but our life here is um, a stepping stone. Okay. So everything that's around us, the physical, um, even the relationships that I've been talking about, and this is holding pattern in some respects. Now don't hold me on the theology of that, but we are preparing ourselves for a a life eternal, um, a life with Jesus for, for being in a better place as it's sometimes euphemistically spoken about. So even the highest possible moments or the worst possible moments in life, whether that is in a work context or, or personal or whatever that is, if that does not compare to the life that is awaiting us and the, the life that is promised to us, again, not through our works, not through our deeds, not through what we've earned, but because of the grace of God, because of what he's done, because of who he is, not because of who I am. Um, and if that sounds really idealistic, it is in some respects because I have really bad days. I have really good days, but that's where I have to keep myself in check. That's where I, um, I, I can find myself sometimes starting to slip and I have to pull myself back or that's where I'm relying maybe on my, my wife or, um, or friends or, or family or people who um, share the same outlook I, that I do, that you know our faith is the most important thing. Um, and so therefore keeping yourself grounded, keeping yourself securing the knowledge of your value and who he says you are, um, we are children of God, um, is, is infinitely greater than responding to the highs and lows of life and getting too sucked into those. Now, I'll, I'll caveat that and say, um, you have to be careful about who you're saying that to and how you express that because uh, you know, now's a really great example. People are experiencing real tragedy um, personal loss that there are people uh, losing their lives every day due to uh, to covid due to a whole number of other things there are people who are facing financial hardship or um, or, or worse because they've lost their job and they're they're facing a lack of hope so for us as christians we know that there is hope we have hope in our maker we have hope in jesus in in our faith but to just blithely put on that plaster and you know say, oh, don't worry about the fact that you've just lost your mum because it's okay, this life is temporary. 
that's not going to quite cut it. And, and that doesn't speak into relationship. That doesn't speak into love others for me. Mm. Um, that, you know, that second half of what Jesus was saying. So I think there has to be a real um, dignity in how we treat people. There has to be a real sense of um, empathy in how we relate to people and how we share that good news and how we um, spread hope and, and, and spread joy joy not being happiness but being a, a a state that means we know what's coming you know we know what god has done for us we know what's been um so it's not our emotional state it's not something that we respond to or react to but it's something that we actively step into um, so yeah that that's just the, the caveat that i'd give for for anyone that listens to that and thinks oh well it's okay for you to say everything's okay um, because sometimes life is not okay mm. So I think that is just about all we have time for for today. So thank you so much, Matt, for being on the podcast. Um, we do have a listener group and sometimes they post questions in there. Absolutely. I'd, I'd love to, um, to to engage in that debate. And, and I Excellent. think that's really healthy as well yeah. for us to, to, to question and to, um, yeah. to engage in that. So, yeah, thank, thanks so much for having me on. And I'd love to, um, to respond as any follow ups. Excellent. Yeah. So if you do have any questions for Matt, do drop them in the listener group and we will add Matt into that space as well so he can see them. Um, thanks so much for listening and we shall see you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.